What's up, sober family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. For earnestly trying to stay sober, that is like the biggest act of self-love that I took in the beginning was quitting drinking. Huge, you know, and if I continue to strive for a better version of myself without being too hard on myself, without trying to be a perfectionistic person, right? Well, that's about as good as it's going to get. Today, my guest is Joy Andrioli, author of The Recovery Cycle, a great book that we'll be talking about in addition to her decades of experience with sober living. I'm confident that you'll leave this episode feeling better equipped to persevere in your dry January journey or whenever you happen to be listening to this interview. I'm your host, Dana Crawl. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally, in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio is always our Al K. Hallfree, my spirit animal for sobriety, and Spruce, my PTSD service dog, who is napping as usual. And before we get rolling, I just want to quickly say that if you're new to sobriety and looking for a group of people to be your sober community, please come join the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye Sober Family Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Facebook groups for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. And now let's get rolling with Joy. Joy, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you uh, so much for, for joining me for this episode. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about your book, but I'm first I would love to hear your backstory just because I know you've been, you know, this is the podcast for newly sober people. You've been sober for a long time, but that doesn't mean that you don't still see recovery as a part of your life. And so I would love to hear, you know, like kind of what your backstory is and what brought you to the point where you where you wrote the book The Recovery Cycle. All right. Yeah, definitely recovery is still a part of my life because I did get sober in 1981, if anybody can believe that. My backstory is, and what led me to write the book, but my backstory was I believed that what recovery means to me, it's the process of becoming an observer of my thoughts and my feelings, where my head and my heart and where my actions progressively align with what I value and hold dear. So, you know, when I grew up early on, in my family, I felt there was a sense of incongruency in my family. They, they weren't together. It was very dysfunctional. And I somehow adopted that. But I knew, I knew that there was uh, a place that, that was healthy, that was functional. And I felt like I knew what that, I, I, I knew at a very young age that this was screwed up and there's a better way. But once I started drinking alcohol, and taking drugs, all of that went away. I, I it, basically it was to anesthetize the pain of growing up in a very dysfunctional family with uh, with some abuse. So that happened all throughout my teenage years. And by the time I was twenty, I ended up in a hospital, wanting to die basically. And somehow I had heard about, actually my brother was sober at the time. My brother was sober for like about a little bit of the time as I, throughout my teenage years, he was a little older than me. And he introduced me to the 12 step program. But and at that time, that was the way to get sober. Now there's a variety of programs. You're doing it. You're doing this, right? This is how you started your community, which by the way, I think is vital, right? Yeah. So 
you know, somebody, John Hart, there's, there's an individual who said that, I think Johan Hari, he says that uh, the opposite of addiction is connection. Well, I believe that the opposite of addiction is recovery, but addiction goes down equals isolation and recovery to me equals connection. So uh, feeling very disconnected throughout my childhood and teenage years, when I did end up in the 12 step program of AA, I felt a connection that I couldn't make sense of in my head, but I couldn't deny it in my heart. I felt something, even though I still didn't trust people. I felt it. And um, even though, you know, 12 step programs might not be the cauldron of mental health, (laughs) there's a lot of healthy principles and I see it as a spiritual program. So, so that was the principles and a few individuals that were very uh, stabilizing for me and helped me to uh, grow up in a sense. I, I felt like I really hadn't had, uh, I was on my own a lot. So by having a mentor in the program actually choose me because I was way too shy to talk. And like I, we were talking before the program, I, I really didn't talk in meetings openly for a number of years, 12, 14 years, something like that. And unless I was uh, pressed to do that, but um, but I began to slowly believe that uh, people were sources of love and that connection really is the key to staying sober. And what you said at the beginning of your program, you know, we love ourselves instead of alcohol. I love that because it, it connection is a way I, I got to learn how to love myself and love others. And now I get to do both in a really big degree so much that my heart actually, it feels beautiful, but sometimes it hurts too. You know, it's like there's an incredible incredible amount of love to be had uh, in recovery if one stays sober over time. Yeah. So how I got to write the book was, um, you know, we talk about loving ourselves. I I had this dream of going to college uh, when I was very young. And so when I got sober at 20, uh, my my mentor at the time said, you know what, you need to get your sober legs. So stay sober for a year. And then you can go to then you can go go back to school. So I did that. And in one of the classes that I was in, um, a woman said to me, an English teacher, I wrote the story. She said to me, oh, you know, this needs a lot of work. I'd written this story that I'd spent a lot of time on. I loved English classes. I loved grammar, all that. And what I heard her say was, you're a, don't even try. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're a bad writer. Don't even try. I was thinking about this because I'm, I'm listening to a book called Into the Magic Shop. Got a, neuro, a neurosurgeon named James Doty. It's a fantastic book. And, uh, you know, I heard him talking about, I was listening to him actually on Instagram and I heard him talking about, you know, and, and someone discounts us or, doesn't believe in something like if we have a dream and then somebody just squashes it or discounts it, Hmm. especially particularly when we're young and we don't have the skills to go, Oh, that's them. I know who I am. I believe in what I'm doing. Um, For me, this teacher saying to me, what she said to me and what I heard her say, I converted into, you shouldn't write. You're not a good writer. Give Hmm. it up, do something else. And so I put that dream to bed for a long time. And I did a lot of things. I worked in the film industry. I became a yoga teacher. I did a few other things. And then I went back to school again in my 40s to become a marriage and family therapist, which I am today. And um, and then I was in this class where 
the recovery, the addiction cycle was being described. And I would love to be able to describe that because your listeners, I think, would really identify with that. But they were describing the, the addiction cycle. And what I saw appeared literally my intuition intuitively, because I'd had many years of sobriety at that point, I saw a recovery cycle coalesce in my mind's eye. So there was the addiction cycle, which is basically a diagram, kind of this four point diagram. And I saw the recovery cycle as this four point, you know, cornerstones. That was the positive mirror image of it. So, but there, there's sound principles that at least for me and many others that I know have, have held a lot of individuals in recovery and good stead over time. And not just putting down the drink, and, but also learning how to love ourselves and grow into our full potential. So when, when I think about recovery, what that means, I think the dictionary definition is it's like the action or process of gain, regaining control over something lost. You know, what I had lost was my sense of self, my, that sense of knowing healthy health exists, mental health, physical health, functional health in a family. I had lost that through drinking and using. But in recovery, it's been a slow process of learning to regain that back. So now I feel that I have at least more and more on a daily basis a better more of a sense of congruency with what I've, you know, my actions, my values and, and the health that I have in my life. So that's a long answer. No, but, it's, um, it's a great answer. Yeah. And I appreciate Yeah, But I would love to hear for you to talk some about the, the addiction cycle and the recovery cycle. And, I, you know, the one that is almost exactly the same is is the rituals. And I would love to hear like what, you know, maybe walk us through that part of the, of each cycle. Like what are the rituals that, that we get into leading us into drinking and then how, what are the, what are the parallel or the mirror rituals that we can do kind of coming out when we go, when we exit the drinking life or when we're trying to exit it? Okay. Uh, well, I can either talk about the rituals or I could describe the, okay. So you can do, you can go for the whole thing if you want to. Yeah, sure. So for anybody that's watching on YouTube, I actually have these, the addiction cycle and the recovery cycle up on a a big, large post-it. But if you think about the addiction cycle for the listeners that aren't on YouTube, uh, think about a clock and that the very top is preoccupation. That's when the mind is intensely obsessed and focused, fantasizing about that drink. It's like there's an intense amount of preoccupation and focus on that drink, which then what do we have to do? We have to do a ritual. So what are are the ritualizations, rituals that that alcoholics do? It could be anything. Mine were knowing I was going to go to the sushi bar and and even thinking about the sake that I was going to drink, I would ritually get rid. I would maybe even have something before, but I was really looking forward to the sake. So, and I like happen to like cocaine too. So a ritual would have had been, you know, going, getting ready to go to the dealer's house, whatever the thing is, if you're an overeater, it's, you know, I used to do that too. And that was like, uh, I'd find all the different, uh, yogurt shops in my area, you know, that I could, cause I, I didn't want to go to the same one. So I planned out where I was going to go and I found some that were over and up anyway. So rituals are just those behaviors that are personal to you. And by the way, once we start the rituals, it's almost like you start to feel high just by thinking about it. Yeah. Right. So rituals, that's the second part. And if we come on, that's a three o'clock and if we come on down to the six o'clock 
rituals will definitely lead to using. So using whatever your, your alcohol, because we're kissing alcohol goodbye. So use alcohol. And typically, if you've crossed that invisible line into addiction, you know, from heavy drinker to addiction or you're periodic or something, you're going to feel guilt, shame, and despair at the nine o'clock. So that's the cycle. Focused on use the preoccupation, the rituals to use, you're using, and then after the guilt, shame, and despair, guaranteed. And if you don't want to continue to feel bad, you want to you you want to you get preoccupied once again. Yeah. Or you think, oh, I've got it handled. I'm not going to do it again. But eventually, a trigger will come if there hasn't been any decision made and action taken towards sobriety. You the preoccupation will begin again. It's sneaky like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sneaky. I like to call yeah. it the liquor lurker. You know, it's always <laughs> it's always sitting on the shoulder. We can't have, we have got to be rid of any lurking notion that we can, uh, I believe that if you have that affliction, you're probably always going to have it. You know, I'm really afraid because I've seen people go out when they're, they've had a number of years and then like that, they're right back to where it was. So that is the addiction cycle and all that drops down to isolation. So the recovery cycle. Instead of preoccupation, we now have focus at the 12 o'clock. So we have a recovery focus. First, it's like, okay, I want to be abstinent. I don't want to drink anymore. How am I going to do that? So now we have to have, we don't have to. Sometimes people just have this miraculous shift towards abstinence and, and a focus on recovery now instead of using. And others, it takes a little bit more work to keep that focus. But the focus, if you're not focused on what am I doing to love myself, to do self-affirming things for myself. What am I doing to stay abstinent and expand my, and I would say spiritual life or expand my, even if you have a secular life, expand my life in some way that's going to continue to be good for me. We're going to, we're going to get fall back into preoccupation. So maintaining this focus is really important. The focus is at that 12 o'clock. We come on down to recovery rituals. Now these are regular, consistent activities that support a recovery program and they must be meaningful to the recovering person. So consistent means it's done more than once, do it more than once. Activities, this means more than one. There's gotta be more than one. Supporting a recovery program, that means something that I believe needs to include other people. There may be activities that are alone activities also, like I'm reading recovery literature, I'm doing something like that. So any ritual, and I kept the word ritual because I it elevates these activities of one's choosing that are meaningful to that the recovering person. Uh, it elevates it to something a little bit more divine for the person. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to believe in God or anything. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that it elevates it into something. It could be, you could think of it as a routine or a practice. I like ritual because it, it adds an element of sacredness. That's the word I was looking for. There you go. Something sacred, you know? And it's got to be meaningful. So recovery rituals is at the three o'clock. And we drop on down. And if I'm doing recovery rituals, I'm going to meet people in these programs or wherever it is that are like-minded people that are going to probably inspire me. If they've been sober and they, they're, they're ahead, a little bit ahead of me on the path, they're going to inspire me to take actions that might be even out of my comfort zone, but that are going to be self-affirming and good for me. They're not going to ideally, you know, in, in these programs, they're not going to 
tell me to go use, they're going to say, hey, take a different action. Don't use, but do something else. You want to go to school, but you're afraid in the past you used? Well, here, we're going to walk you through it. Hey, my the person that helped me, she helped me fill out financial aid forms. She helped me do everything. I mean, she said, take one class. I didn't. I didn't listen to that. I did stay sober a year. But, you know, I went and I, I did all those things that were kind of uncomfortable for me. But I had the support of these people from in the rituals. And I had my own private things that I did as well. So taking contrary action, which is essentially doing something positive and self-affirming rather than something self-destructive. Uh, from what I know, addicts are notoriously self-destructive and will either drink, use, self-harm in some way, create really bad relationships to kind of keep this, the, the, the self-esteem squashed, right? Yeah. That's why I love what you said about loving ourselves instead of alcohol. I mean, that's all, that's what we're learning how to do here. Love ourselves and love each other. So contrary action, we take that. And instead of just guilt, shame, and just now, now we have a whole range of feelings that we're, we get to experience. So a range of feelings, an expanded range of feelings is now uh, in the realm of experience that could be experienced here. So, so basically, instead of preoccupation, you have on alcohol, you have a recovery focus. Instead of rituals that are geared toward using, you have recovery rituals. Instead of using, take contrary action, positive action. And instead of guilt, shame, and despair, despair being sort of isolated to all that you can experience with using, now because you've taken some self-affirming action, you're going to feel a range of feelings from pain to great pleasure and joy, wonder, awe, embarrassment, like all kinds of things, right? So by experiencing these range of feelings, it's like, wow, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I did that sober. Never did that before sober. And that makes me think I can do maybe more things sober. So then we go right back to a recovery. How can I do more things that are mm -hmm. good for myself? And um, and all of that drops down into a greater sense of connection with oneself, others, and maybe a higher power if somebody believes, if one wants to believe that. That's it's awesome. And my question for you about the range of feelings is what what about when we do feel things that aren't as comfortable? How do we how do we sit in those, especially when we're newly sober? Like, how do we sit in those and allow ourselves to feel? Because there may still be some feelings of embarrassment, guilt and, and shame in that, you know, as we're working through them. So how do we how do we sort of work through that and, and then go back into the recovery focus instead of into the uh, into the preoccupation? That's ab absolutely, you're absolutely right. Because triggers can be feelings too. They're people, places, yeah. things, and feelings. And But if we're in this range of feelings, expanded range, and we have an uncomfortable feeling, you know, my suggestion would be, if you're, if you're new, to have one trustworthy person that you found that you feel safe enough with uh, where you can share it. Share it with another human being. You know, because I believe that, I mean, Einstein said we can't solve the problem with the brain that created it, right? Uh, so yeah. so if if I'm feeling embarrassed or shit, and I have, I, I think I say that in my book, that embarrassment is like my least, and anxiety, embarrassment is my least favorite feeling. I've desensitized to it so much. I've had opportunities to feel embarrassed so many times that, that I realize it's okay, you know? 
I know now it's okay, but I still, if I feel something that doesn't feel good and it's negative, I still share it with somebody that's a safe, trustworthy person who's not going to use my feelings against me, who's not going to judge it. Uh, you know, find a guide that doesn't judge you or your feelings and get support. So that's one one way. Another way would be, you know, if if one is can sit with their feelings, like now if I feel something that doesn't particularly feel good, I have a meditation practice, but I, I can sit with it today. I don't always like it. I do my best to breathe. There's a gazillion breathing practices. And what I have done over the years is I study, I study it, you know, like I have a whole chapter on this whole chapter on feelings. And I, I, I think it's a, uh, if I would say to read one chapter, that would be it for people to read that one on feelings because you're let, it's okay to feel, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's all okay to be human. But if, if you're drinking uh, to anesthetize any feeling or to deal with anything in life, it's, it's only going to separate me more from from being connected anywhere. And that is the worst feeling of all is to feel completely isolated, I think. Yeah, that's why you chose that word uh, for your for your model for the addiction cycle, that that the the pointing down to yeah, isolation. And that and and as I think back to my experience, that's what it was. It was I was is progressively isolating myself. And this is, you know, I'm somebody who's a, a big connector type person and just had started to go into sort of a hole where I just was shutting people out. And so, yeah, that's, I think isolation is the, the word that really resonates with me. I, I would love to hear. So again, you know, with it being the the show for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze, like I would ask you a two part question. One is what do you do to show love to yourself? And then what would you recommend? Maybe if there's something different from that, that you would recommend to people that are early in sobriety, like I am, because I mean, I'm, I'm just at like 11 months yesterday. And so, I mean, I'm a baby and like, still don't even know how to walk yet. So it's, you know, I'm I'm all ears for ways to show, you know, what are some good ways to show ourselves? So like, how do you do that? And then how would you recommend for others to, to do it? Okay. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. That's really it's awesome. I think it's just, I think it's really kind of miraculous that anybody that gets sobers up that had a problem because it's so hard, you know, until the day you just go, Oh my God, I completely surrendered. So again, that's great. Um, so what do I do or what have I done? You know, I, uh, I love to travel. I do that. I take time to do things that I like, you know, I, I just pay attention to what, feel again what feels good and and what doesn't so i say no to what i don't want yeah i'm just trying to think about it it's such a it's such a great question how do you love yourself i mean i spent a lifetime learning how to do that so i practice even though uh this might not sound like loving myself but it it is in a way because i want to be a kind gentle person and i want to be a a kind partner to my husband I want to be a good friend. I want to be good. So I act, I act better than I feel sometimes. And in a funny way, that's kind of an act of self-love because then I'm at, I'm, I'm moving towards the congruency that I want. And, and over time it seeps into my heart that I, I can now feel love for all these people that have irritated me, you know, because <laughs> a lot of people did irritate me. And I don't know, it's just, I guess maybe getting older too, is there's a greater sense of acceptance. 
So that's, I guess for me, um, I don't know if that quite answers it. Yeah, I know there's a simpler answer and I'll probably think of it once we get off of It's this. all good. <laughs> it's know? all good. It's a tough question. So like I So you but yeah. Great. But I was thinking if I was if I was going to ask others if why don't you what would you do to love yourself? Like pick pick something that you love to do and do it. Yeah. I talk about growing good feelings and that's an, a part of loving oneself. You know, I have that in that section I talk a whole I have a whole thing about how do you grow good feelings? Because recovery includes feeling good. Discover what you like to do and do it. You like to play cards, reads, go to museums. Make it a priority to do what you like to do. Do it more than once. Uh, spend time with a friend you feel good around. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, spend time and really enjoy that friend. Talk to a trusted person about how you want to learn how to feel better and ask them what they do to feel good. You know, um, it, it's it's okay to to go on the journey of learning how to love yourself, you know? And I think that at the root of a lot of addiction is a lot of low self-esteem and fe the feeling that sense of incongruency. So, you know, we got to give ourselves a break sometimes. We got to just, you know, we're all doing the best we can, Right. We're earnestly trying to stay sober. That is like the biggest act of self-love that I took in the beginning was quitting drinking. Huge. You know, and if I continue to strive for a better version of myself without being too hard on myself, without trying to be a perfectionistic person, right? Well, that's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah. And there it is. I don't know that I've thought about it that way that maybe that was the first act that just the stopping was, was the most profound act of self-love that there was because I was no longer, you know, drinking myself into that isolation. And, you know, it was just the stopping was the, was the most loving thing that I could do for myself. Right. I, I and surround it. yourself with people that, that care about you. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing is I didn't trust that people really cared about me. And I had one person that did. She came to me and she and she's still my friend today. She's for 42 years, 41 years I've known this person. And it took me years to think that she liked me. My self-esteem was so in the toilet, you know, and um, and I'm so grateful for her. And I'm so grateful for that little spark in me that said, just just give this person a shot. She's she's uh, she was a good one, you know. So surround yourself with people or at least one person that, you know, gets you. It's where you feel heard and known. I guess that would be the other thing I would say is find somebody where you feel like you can share your secrets with. Because I think people go out from they go out drinking for probably one of three reasons. Maybe there's another. Um, they keep secrets, uh, misuse of medications, and they quit doing their recovery rituals. They quit hanging out with those people that are supporting recovery and everybody's because if I'm not reminded that I have a problem, that's why I like to work with new people, because if I'm not reminded of what it's like, I'll, I think I'd forget. I just know I would. I was very young. I could convince myself that I was too young. I wasn't even 21 yet. I was going to bars, but I didn't have a I wasn't 21 yet, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so those three reasons. So, again, keeping secrets. But if we can find somebody to share our like the one secret that I have on any given day that I think, oh, I don't think I'm going to 
that's the one that I need to share yeah. with somebody. Ah, uh, okay. And I've found on the other side of that tremendous liberation. It's okay to be me. Yeah. I got to write that down. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, you know what? I put that in the, if there's only one takeaway from my entire mm -hmm. book, it's, it's okay to be you. That's, that's all I want people to get. You know what? You can decide if you want to stay sober or not. It's better. But you have a choice. We all have a choice. But if you want to stay sober, you have a better chance of being you rather than a person impersonating a person if you're sober and you have people supporting you, finding those trustworthy, supportive people. It's so vital, especially in the beginning, but not even it's, it's like throughout. I still have people that I rely on because I don't like feeling alone and isolated. I basically could be a very anxious, negative person. And I need people to reflect back to me. And I need to be there for others too. You know, it's not all about me. So, but it's enjoyable that that uh, uh, exchange of energy, you know, and being on Zoom is great, but I would suggest if anybody has a recovery ritual that's not on Zoom, you might feel the difference. It feels very good to be around live people. Yeah. And and, and it doesn't matter what recovery, there's all kinds of meetings now. There's Sober Curious, there's that, the, the lady that wrote, um, she has something called Tempest. I think you have to pay for that one. Mm -hmm. There's Smart Recovery, there's Women in Recovery, there's Buddhism in Recovery. There's all these recovery options out there now. So uh, my, my suggestion would be find something that works for you and then find you'll find the love there but find it's got to have meaning for you okay what um i'm like i'm out of questions <laughs> so like what what is there anything else that uh maybe you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to or or uh anything else that's just um on your head or your heart right now that you'd love to impart on a on a captive audience and it doesn't have to be anything else but i just want to um, open it up just in case well let's see I don't know. I have I have a lot to say, so <laughs> I I can end it here. Uh, but I do want to say that I appreciate you taking the time to let me kind of go through this. Yeah, because it's really a way to not only stay sober, but to live a, a full human life of full potential. And, um, and I think that's what we're here to do to uh, freely express ourselves, who we are. At least that's what I want to do before I die. I want to be able to fully express who I am to the world unabashedly, you know, because that's been my challenge is being so afraid. But I'm less and less the more I show up on podcasts like this. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to, I'm grateful to you for taking the time to explain it. And the great part about your model in my mind is that it, it's like in one of your recovery recaps in the book, you said recovery rituals are consistent activities that support a recovery program meaningful to you. And so this isn't Joy Andreoli saying you have to do it exactly this way. You're providing a framework and you're providing just this, this background that, that people can interpolate for their own experiences and apply these principles uh, for whatever their unique situations are. And so um, how can people reach you, I guess, is what I'm supposed to ask at this point. Yeah, they can, I'm at communicatewithjoy.com. Okay. J-O-I is how you yeah, spell Yeah, joy with an I. Yep. Yeah. Anywhere else that people could, um, you know, that would be a good way for them to connect with you if they want to, if they 
were touched by this episode and wanted to reach out directly, would it just sending you an Instagram message be a good way to do that? Sure. Instagram, email, my emails on my website. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm open to inquiry. I'm, yeah. Totally open. Okay. Well, Joy, I'm so grateful to you for taking this time to uh, grace us with your presence and to share all these great lessons with us. And um, I look forward to um, see, uh, keeping in contact with you. And I will encourage everyone to get her book, The Recovery Cycle, and to reach out and connect with her at one more time. What was your Instagram handle? So I don't mess it up. At Joy Andreoli, J-O-I-A-N-D-R-E-O-L-I. Perfect. So reach out to Joy there. And um, until next time, we look forward to seeing you then. And uh, until then, Al and Spruce and Joy and I say uh, we send you all of our sober love and we say goodbye alcohol and Ah. hello life and much love to you all and peace.